It's Saturday, the 15th of October, 2015. I am Robin Yellow, and this is TechTasm episode 33, Samsung Galaxy Knot. And with me again, because nobody comes up with such wonderful show titles, is Mr. James Woodall. Hello, hello. I'm glad I can do that, and also can be on the podcast as well. It's very good Indeed. to be here. Indeed, indeed. My poor wheezy um, attempt at a show title was totally eclipsed by yours. So as ever, you are the creative genius behind the show, James. Well, this week, James and I are going to be taking a look at Samsung finally killing the Note 7. Huawei selling 100 million phones this year alone and the iPhone home button fails. And we'll be judging these stories and a couple of others to see if they are a tech-tasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something existing only in a person's mind. So without further waffle, let's get on with the show. So Natasha Lomas in TechCrunch has reported that Samsung has finally got rid of the Note 7. Uh, it did well, maybe, um, but now, now it's completely gone. And um, look, we've reported on this a couple of times over the past couple of weeks and episodes and so forth. Um, well, it made a nice three-story arc, didn't it, has, it, James? It has. Well, as a, as a kind of counter story to last week, where we discussed how the share price had actually been going up because of hedging against the stock, um, the uh, the stock has actually fallen massively. And uh, you know, since uh, since October. Um, uh, well, sorry, in the last couple of days, um, 8% of the stock has fallen off uh, Samsung, which is the equivalent of $19 billion. Is that just Samsung, Samsung the mobile division, or is that the whole company? Well, they trade under one under one company, so I guess that's the problem with them, right? <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, crikey. Well, that doesn't seem right. 8% would put their total stock valuation at what uh 250 billion okay fair enough all right that's a big big amount of money uh it's a hell of a lot of cash to lose james it 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 certainly is and and that will certainly eclipse the operating loss of the devices i mean look there can't be that much but basically samsung have gone from i mean if we just cast our mind back on the story they released the phone to much fanfare a couple of months ago in a possible competitiveness to the upcoming well which is now current iphone 7 um there were reports of them catching fire so samsung quickly took them off the shelves and worked on a fix they released the fix and the fix seemed to not work and had the same problem the problem being and this is i suppose a minor issue for a mobile phone they would spontaneously combust well, I've already had somebody, I, I own a Samsung phone myself, uh, though not the Note 7, but the Samsung Galaxy S7, and somebody's already taken the mickey out of me, suggesting that my phone's about to explode uh, if I leave it on the meeting table. So um, I would say the worry here for Samsung is, of course, that the brand has been damaged beyond the Note 7 brand into every other type of phone that they make uh, which obviously is why the, the stock has been marked down well i and i think i think the thing is with this particular um issue is all phone manufacturers have had problems with a single model i think what this shows is a lack of competence on samsung's part because they claimed that they'd fixed the issue 
and they hadn't. So I think um, I'm not going to say people could have forgiven them the first time because, hey, a phone exploding is not really a good thing. But the fact that they said, hey, don't worry, we've, we've identified the problem and we've fixed it, uh, I think is worse for them the second time around than it was the first time around. So, yeah, the brand tarnishing, I mean, they're not going to be seen as a trusted company anymore. Well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So they had to do this. They had no option, I think, other than to kill this phone brown bread. Um, But, of course, now I suppose what I'm really interested in is in the consequence of that for the brand. And if I can segue quickly into a part two on this story about how Huawei have already shipped over 100 million smartphones in 2016, James. Now, uh, at the launch of the Nova and Nova Plus smartphones in China, they shared this information, and this is two months before the end of the year. Now, they have long stated their ambition, James, is to become the world's biggest smartphone maker by volume. Uh, and have already established themselves as a leading smartphone maker in their home market of China and making credible inroads into the Indian market, which is one of the top smartphone markets globally. Now, it's due to launch the Huawei Mate 9 next month, and this will be a sort of, you know, uh, available in a flattened curved screen variant, pack the latest, the company's latest Kirin processor, along with up to six gigabytes of RAM, a dual camera setup, and fast charging technology. Now, it sounds like they are muscling in on Samsung's space. That is a pretty big, a pretty big phone in terms of specification. Interestingly enough, on a slight personal angle, if I will, to this particular story, my wife was looking at getting a Note 7 because she used to have a Note 3, loved it, so wanted to get a 7 because it was about time to upgrade. But of course, with all the faffing around, she ended up getting a Huawei phone and she loves it. Good. And what's the bloatware like on that? Um, it's pretty good. There isn't a lot, actually. It's um, it's quite trimmed down. Because that's the thing for me, uh, which is an annoyance. I just want to learn one version of Android and and use it on any phone that I've got. And bloatware and crapware is something that is an incredible annoyance to me. I think increasingly the um, manufacturers are removing bloatware, so I think it's becoming a thing of the past. But uh, encouraging to hear uh, that they've cut down on that. What about the screen? Is it good quality? It is. It is actually a really great phone. I cannot... I cannot find it. I mean, of course, the fact that it being an Android device would put me off. But uh, for an Android device, um, which I know that's the kind of thing for you, it's a pretty decent phone. Well, I was so. talking to uh, an industry watcher uh, earlier this week, James, and I said, uh, just casually made a remark about uh, the Samsung shutting the Note 7 down. Um, and I want, was wondering who would fill the vacuum created by them if things go badly for Samsung over the next 12 months. And quick as a flash, this individual said Huawei. So interesting that Huawei have got their PR team on overdrive uh, yeah. making announcements because clearly that's how they see themselves. Well, I mean, I'm curious to know, I mean, 100 million sounds like a really impressive number. How does that actually stack up to everybody else? I mean... I think they're number three or four globally after Lenovo, I think, are ahead of them in global sales. Um, But uh, I will furiously Google that up right now as we speak. Yeah, 
<laughs> well, it'd be rude not to, right? And I, in fact, am doing the same thing. Oh, okay, curious, great. Well, you like... probably, probably, we'll see who gets there first. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and um, while we both furiously Google, I mean, I wonder how this kind of stacks up to Apple as well. I mean, you mentioned India um, is, of course, a... Um, it's a rising it's a market. Bank. It's a market which has got uh, a trajectory of growth really tied into, I suppose, um, their, their, the increasing wealth of their, their population um, uh, is meaning that they're buying more phones. I've got the list here, actually. I've got uh, for quarter one, 2016, Samsung at number one, Apple at number two, Huawei at number three, uh, then Oppo. I've, I've never even heard of Oppo. Who are Oppo? Are they the people who do the OnePlus? Let's have a look. Oppo is a Chinese electronics in Duangon province. They're, they're a Chinese manufacturer. Uh, I mean, that's that's quite... What do they make then? Well, apparently it says here they've been making smartphones in 2011. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, they're, they're big in India and China. It's India and China. It's a, it's sheer numbers over there. I mean, you know, here in Europe, we've got a population of, what, 350 million. The United States, about the same, 350 million. That's three over three times. It's four times as much in China alone. And then India, the same again. So, uh, no one, I'm not surprised by this. What I am surprised about is the sheer number of Apple phones that are being sold worldwide. Yeah, well, and that's only going to be increased, right, with people leaving... Samsung for Apple. I mean, hey, it might not be massive numbers, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I've never perceived Huawei as being one of those super ultra-premium brands like Samsung that is always knocking about the top specs, trading on its, uh, you know, premium brands. It's always got the best flagship or one of the best flagships with, with a few exceptions. Uh, Huawei, I've always seen as a budget manufacturer. Yes, yes, I I agree. And um, and to be fair, that... that um, that was uh, was one of the appealing points to my wife because for much less, you know, she was able to get a a well a phone that doesn't self combust. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right, okay. moving on. Well, yeah. So um, sticking with iPhones a little bit, uh, but on a slightly different slant, Tim Hardwick in Mac Rumors um, only earlier today actually has announced that the iPhone 7 has got a bit of a problem with its home screen button, uh, which is not actually a button, you see. In the 7, Apple got rid of the physical button, and instead, it's a pressure sensor with a taptic engine underneath it to simulate the feedback. So and I've, I've tried this out on a friend's, friend's device, and basically it just kind of vibrates under your, under your fingers. Does it feel like a vibration, though? Yes, it does. It's very similar to to how the Apple Watch works when you uh, when you when you long press on something. Um, but but what's interesting is that uh, the button has started to fail on some devices. Um, but interestingly enough, about that, the phone itself is able to detect that it has failed, and will give you a warning. And then, as a replacement for it, they put a soft home button. On the screen, so a button that you can press actually on the screen. Um, I mean, I, I, obviously, you know, Apple, huge testing department and whatever, but uh, 
there's a, there's certainly a lot of uh, things failing on modern smartphones at the moment, aren't there? Well, it, what's really interesting about this is obviously they had the foresight to anticipate a failure in this button and put the necessary software in to pop up this, you know, the home button may need a service message. In the ne- meantime, you can use the on-screen home button below and then have an on-screen home button like Android um, to, to actually use in its place. So obviously... You know, they anticipated this. They, this this design work went into this. Um, now, is that because this is brand new technology? Well, I, I don't know about the ins and outs. I mean, if if it's brand new in the sense of it's two or three years old, certainly because it, it looks like it's the same kind of functionality that's built into the Apple Watch. Uh, but yes, for iPhones, it's brand new. I mean... You know, they've got this, they've still got a home button, but it's not a button. I mean, the rumors are that with the iPhone 8, I know we're not really much for a rumor mill here on Tech Thousand, but the iPhone 8 supposedly is putting in a complete edge-to-edge display and getting rid of the home button altogether. But I guess we'll have to wait 11 months to, uh, to find oh, that one. No, the rumor mill has started already. I suppose, what is the Tech Tasm here? Um, you know, I, I mean, it, 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 do you think there's a serious design flaw with the the iPhone Seven or this the, the you know the reports of this uh, failure and this button message are just a, a tectasm and um, you know it could be overblown. As I say, this is f- fresh, red hot news. So uh, and and as you say, it is in Matt rumors. I mean, for for me, what's what's interesting is. All of the phone manufacturers, the only way really they have to differentiate themselves is hardware. And there's a lot of one-upmanship going on at the moment. And I'm thinking that this feels to me, and a bit like the Samsung Note story as well, that are these companies really putting everything in to the phones at the moment, you know, in terms of the R&D, the testing and whatever. That's a very good point, actually. It is very mature, and often you see this, that the way you make your profit as time goes on is by cutting costs, making things simpler. I can understand that perhaps a physical button, which is what they've had to date, is a potential point of failure, more expensive to manufacture, uh, you look at all of the cheaper Android phones do not have physical buttons. It's all software buttons. Well, and Apple said the reason, one of the reasons they got rid of the physical button was because they've got, I believe it's IPX7 um, on... IP67, yes, for dust and water intrusion. No, I think it's X7 as oh, in okay. just water. Um, but still, in order to get that waterproofing, they needed to make some sacrifices for the external components. And that's one of them. Yeah, well, that's I mean, hokum because the Samsung Galaxy S7 ha- is waterproof as well, and that has a, got a physical button on it. So that just sounds like uh, who rubbish. Knows? Who knows? But, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that um, I think that hardware is getting, I wouldn't say better, but they're making changes. And I think some of it is just due to simply just making changes. Well, I don't think this is a, uh, um, a massive problem. I don't think uh, it's... You know, I, I see no reason why Apple can't make a solid state tap button work like everybody else. Even the cheapest uh, Android phone manufacturers can do this. So uh, I think the story is a tectasm. Well, James, you're a, an Apple Music user, aren't you? I certainly am. I'm a Google Music user, and James and I have reverted to type there for our religious war. Um, but there's a new competitor in town. Amazon 
have launched a bare bones music service, according to Fast Company and other people, um, which is called Amazon Unlimited Music. Now, uh, what Paul Titlow is saying in his article is that it's cheap. This is cheap. I think it's $8 for Amazon Prime members. So it's, I think it's $10, which is the same as Spotify or Google Music, uh, if you're not a member. $8 if you're an Amazon Prime member or $4 if you're an Amazon Echo owner. So what they've done is they've discounted it. Of course, if you're vested, invested into the ecosystem, they make it cheaper. Now, Amazon Music Unlimited uh, has a catalogue of millions of songs from all the major labels and many indies and smaller distributors. It lets you create radio stations dedicated to specific artists. It has playlists curated by in-house music editors, uh, lists of new releases, popular tracks, a search box, you know, everything you could possibly need, offline listening. Um, and while Prince and Neil Young are absent, well, I think everyone, not many people have got them anyway, um, Taylor Swift is there, but interestingly, her most recent album, 1989, isn't. Now, from a design standpoint, James, uh, apparently Amazon Music Unlimited has kept things very simple. Uh, feels like a very stripped-down version of Spotify. Uh, the author here uh, believes it's more akin to RDO, uh, a now-defunct service. And it's definitely a fresh of breath air. A, a fresh of breath air. Uh -huh. <laughs> breath yeah. of fresh air. Okay. Uh, it says the author, for those who have grown, <laughs> yeah, who've grown tired for the visual bloat of iTunes. So, you interested, James? You're going to switch? Um, no, uh, of course I'm not. But um, a visual bloat of iTunes, I, I, I well, personally, I don't use iTunes on a desktop PC because Apple Music is all about what happens on my phone. And isn't that what the case is for most people? You know, music on the move, music in your car, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, if all the services are the same, why are you loyal to Apple Music? Um, because it interacts really well into my phone. Is that what it is, interaction with the phone? But, but Well, yeah, but, I, but the phone, like most people today, the phone is an extension of me. So, you know, when I plug, when I plug my phone into the USB port on my car, all the albums come up, that's a mix of... Apple Music and non, I can interact with it from within the dashboard. You know, these are all extensions of an iPhone that Apple Music just kind of makes better because you get more music from it. But can I ask, have you tried any of these other music services? I have tried Spotify, uh, admittedly a few years ago now. Um, I mean, it was very good. But, and the reason I moved away from it was because it wasn't compatible with my car. So... Um, I don't know if that's, that's the same the case today, but uh, the thing with any kind of ecosystem is once you start buying into it, it's very hard to find something else. Um, well, I suppose with a music streaming service, of course, you're not actually you don't buy the music; you're just renting the ability to listen to well, no, it. See, that's where the Apple one's different, and I'm sure the Google one fit into the same category. On my Apple account, I've got a mixture of songs I've purchased and songs that I've borrowed through streaming, and they fit in the same interface. Mm. Yes, I suppose for me, the Google service is because you can put 20,000 of your own songs in. And that's exactly the same with the Apple one as well with iTunes Match. So so the iTunes and the Google one are comparative in this where it's a mix of your own music you've purchased either in the service or external and also 
music that you've got as part of your stream, and it's one cohesive interface. Um, it would take a lot for me to move away from that because I've already bought into the environment, just as you have with Google with Google Music. Well, interestingly, so, he describes, Paul Titlow describes Amazon Music Unlimited as feeling a bit like Google Play Music, a decent music streaming service built by a giant tech company that hits all the basic expected marks for such a service without blowing anyone's mind. Um, so is it just going to pass unnoticed, or who's this going to appeal to? Well, I mean, there's a lot, lot of Amazon Prime members out there, and I have to say, um, I'm... I'm a bit disappointed in the sense that, I mean, I'm an Amazon Prime member. Well, in fact, my wife is, and because of the whole household account thing, you can get one too. Um, so I've got Amazon Prime kind of by extension. This is not av available to Amazon Prime users as part of the Prime package, because what was really interesting was when Amazon Prime Video came out, if you were already a Prime user, didn't you get that? Yes, you do. You have a You have a video service on Amazon Prime, and you also have a music service. But whereas your music service and my music service have got about 15 million songs, the um, Amazon music service that comes with Amazon Prime has 1 million songs. So it's often, while it, it, it may have 80%, 60% of what you want to listen to, it's not going to have that range, uh, breadth, and depth uh, of the higher uh, fee-paying fee services. And it was always something that was missing from their lineup was a music service like this. Mm. And, of course, they've been building out their ecosystem with the Echo uh, and the Dot and the Fire TV and all these various devices that are plugged into your home. So it felt like it was coming. I'm not surprised to see it. Uh, and I think it will appeal to people who are already Amazon Prime members. I just wonder how much appeal it's going to have outside of that. Well, and it may appeal to people who are already Amazon Prime members, but wouldn't those people already have a music streaming service that they're quite happy with, like Spotify? Like Spotify, yeah. Well, in yeah. fact, interesting, if you buy an Amazon Echo, it comes with the ability, uh, one of its skills is to have the Spotify music service there. So I wonder now, with the presence of Amazon Music Unlimited, how long it will be before Spotify gets kicked off. Um, I think that would be a PR disaster if they were to do that, because a lot of people would have bought the device to do that. But yes, it does seem a little bit confusing that, because you know they will have known that this would have been coming for quite some time, internally so why even bother building spotify in the first place well i must admit uh you know spotify's future as we've sort of talked before um is a little bit up in the air who's going to own them i mean as a music service can't really exist on its own it needs to be attached to a giant tech company i did see that somebody was looking to buy spotify oh, who was that microsoft um, they're music, they no, don't have a music brand, do they? It wasn't. It wasn't. Well, they do. They've got one called Groove Music, I think, which ironically has the largest number of songs and artists uh, of anyone, and that could be because nobody uses it. Um, uh, no, sorry, I was lying. The story I read was how Spotify are looking to, A, head for an IPO sometime mid-next year, and also that they're in talks to acquire SoundCloud, Oh, SoundCloud which, Go, yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Um, yeah, I, I'm, look, um, I, I, I'm underwhelmed by this story. I wish them luck. To me too. I mean, we can name five music streaming services now. Um, so what? You know, it's just they, they, they've done it because they've had to do it 
but this will not be a core part of the brand. I'm interested in the discount, though, I must admit. Uh, I'm paying £15 a month for a family plan, which is probably what you're paying. Um, and they're talking about, I've got an Amazon Echo, and I can get this for, f- when it comes to the UK, it's US only at the moment. When it comes to the UK, it's only four bucks, or which may which will probably turn out to be six quid. But either way, I could potentially, you know, I could save 100 quid a year there. Just a thought. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. Well, well, but then you've bought the Echo as well, which you say is underwhelmed. So I'm underwhelmed. Effectively, what you're doing is paying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what you're saying is you're going to pay another four pound a month to make your two hundred pound Echo useful. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't have paid two hundred pounds. Ninety nine pounds, I paid for it. But yeah, it's a very good point, actually. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for grounding me, James. I appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime. Okay. Well, moving moving on to our final story of the evening. We have mentioned in the past that a few suitors have been looking at buying Twitter. Um, and this story comes from Ars Technica by Cyrus Farivar. And um, it seems like uh, Salesforce are the latest company to walk away from a possible acquisition of Twitter. Now, um, what's interesting about this is Salesforce have actually admitted that they were in talks with Twitter and of course the other ones haven't Um, Apple Google and so forth have all been looking at them but um, one thing that this article in Ars Technica which by the way we've not had a decent Ars story on this show for quite a while so I'm glad I'm glad they're back Uh, bring on Ron Amadio that's what I say but come back Uh, he must be on holiday Ron Amadio he he must be he must be Um, so interestingly enough about Twitter they've posted um, in their latest annual reports, that so far they've got an accumulated deficit of $2.09 billion. I mean, and they've got revenues of, um, let's have a look, of, well, $2 billion in revenues. So, you know, what's really interesting is that Twitter gets so much coverage in the press because it's the only source of news for the press. They follow breaking news on Twitter. They love it. They live in it. So therefore, they're constantly yabbering on about it. Um, you know, it does <laughs> It does a thing which is difficult to monetize. Um, yeah. People don't seem to be interested in it because everyone's had a look. Google's had a look and Apple's had a look and now Salesforce has had a look. And obviously, not, you know, with all that kind of brain power they still can't come up with a good working model to make it sustainable and i suspect they probably i mean this is just a guess right but it's a guess james but i would say i think they'd be quite happy for twitter to fail and for somebody else to arise in their in their place because i mean it's got to be the most simple app going doesn't it oh yeah absolutely um what um What's interesting is um, certainly a few years ago, Facebook and Twitter were kind of seen as not rivals, but, you know, um, brothers in arms, you know, very similar companies. They'd arise at pretty much the same time. They IPO'd at roughly the same time as well. Uh, What's interesting about them is when Facebook IPO'd, the markets were generally very negative. In fact, they dropped on first day of trading. Um, because nobody really understood how they were going to make money from mobile. And at the time, they didn't make a single dollar from mobile advertising. Today, 
most of their revenue comes from mobile advertising. So Facebook has really proven that they've been able to take the market requests, which are, hey, make some money, and actually turn it around and deliver on that because Facebook is doing really well. Uh, Twitter, on the other hand, people have always been asking, well, well where's the revenue stream? What, you know, what, you know, let's let's see and uh, look i mean revenue of 2.2 billion in 2015 is is quite impressive but if you've got an accumulated deficit of 2 billion you're still not doing doing a lie well they also i mean they've got a part-time ceo jack dorsey um and that was always very contentious the fact he was running who is he running is running square as well wasn't he yeah um and you know <laughs> Even the bloody CEO is half-hearted about it. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to Twitter in the future. The thing with Jack, though, if you remember, Jack left Twitter when it matured, and then he was asked to come back. Yes. So he probably didn't want to come back. Uh, yeah, or they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. I, I mean, it does smack of desperation. I, I, would you care, James, if it just Twitter collapsed and disappeared? from the consciousness no not really i mean i i use it i probably tweet once every few weeks um it's very rare that i spend any significant amount of time on on twitter i'm a i'm really into uh my uh well my political news websites at the moment so i just go straight there i don't look at it on twitter you know what's what's the point i mean i have to admit donald trump's tweets are entertaining um but um when the when the election cycle is over i don't think I'll be... yeah but you know you're interested in politicians celebrities use twitter obviously to announce things companies use twitter to announce things it has become almost the de facto way to announce something um uh to the world and uh, because it's you know it's easy to use anyone can use it i i'm like you though i use i don't use it a lot i must admit so i don't really care um is somebody going to buy it? <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, it look it looks like, and these are just rumors. All the big guys have said thanks, but no thanks. So, so perhaps is it ripe for some venture capitalists to come in with you know half the asking price uh, and tear it apart and just kind of bleed the money out of it because it's it's very very tightly balanced on its revenue, isn't it? If it pisses off its users too much. Uh, requesting money or putting advertisements into the stream or doing deals um, to to monetize, everyone could just scatter. I mean, they're they're in a precarious position because they're not part of a bigger organization. In a way, this is very much like the music service story that because they're not part of a bigger ecosystem, they can't take a loss or flex up and down uh, being supported by another part of the business. Um, so uh, if they disappeared, I wouldn't care. If they carried on, I wouldn't care. Um, the fact that they can't find a suitor, to me, is not uh, a tectasm. I'm not surprised by it uh, because I, I just think people just don't know what to do with it. But as you said, maybe some smart smart Alec will come up with an idea like they did with Facebook uh, to, to, uh, to believe that they can monetize. I mean, they're ideally placed for it. I just think they've been trying to monetize for so long and have failed spectacularly yeah. that everyone's just probably at their wits end. Well, just to put this into perspective, okay, Twitter on revenue of 2 billion has a market cap of 11. Yes. So a multiple of five, six is 
terrible for a company. No, like yeah, especially for a company which is all software, you know, which doesn't actually have cover. Facebook had a 2015 revenue of 18 billion, okay, but a market cap of 363 billion. So, I mean, you know, investors clearly. Yeah, they'll run the numbers and that won't look attractive. Also, I think they've had a trouble attracting new users. I think that's the issue, is they don't seem to have a strategy for attracting new users. They've got a hardcore of users, most of them journalists, who love Twitter and groups of um, celebrity followers and uh, politics watchers and company news watchers. But it doesn't serve the same purpose as a, a social network, which is about your group of friends. So it's not hyper-local and personal to you. Uh, this is about looking at the world. It's about a worldview. And let's not forget, you know, they don't use Twitter in China. Yes. Well, they don't use Facebook either. Though, so. Yeah, good point, good point. And that's a good point to end, I think. James, that's it for this week. Our listeners can find us at facebook.com slash techtasm, subscribe on the usual sources, and contact us at feedback at techtasm.com. We record, we record at 9 o'clock on Sunday during the week. This week it's Saturday. Who knows what it's going to be next week. So from now to next week, who knows when. This is me, Sir Robin Yellow. Me, James Asking Waddle. the question on your behalf, is it real or is it just a tech tasm? Thank you.